Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Isios. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Super grateful to have you guys here today. Today we get into a very interesting topic that um, I really enjoy talking about because I like figuring out more and more about this stuff. And that's trauma from when we were younger, whatever we went through and sort of how it affects us now in relationships and different behaviors. Now we've talked about this in past shows about the emotional things that go on in our lives that cause different addictions, different behaviors, different patterns. So what we get into today with our awesome guest, Rihanna Milne, she's a best-selling author. She's a podcast host and she's been doing this stuff for a while and she's really quite intriguing and quite um, amazing on how she's been able to unpack how this stuff all works. So we get into, there's 10 different levels of trauma 10 different uh, sections that it's broken down into and she unpacks all of them. So really interesting conversation. And I tend to peel back the layer of the onion, so to speak. I start to discover the things in my life that may have affected me and may have compounded over time to possibly instigate some of the behaviors that I had. And that may have been because of these things that happened. And it may have come into relationships that I've dealt with as well. Because when I grew up, my family fought a lot. And what happened in relationships is that was normal to me. And if we didn't fight, then there was something that seemed kind of bizarre if things were going smooth, and which is crazy. But the more I learn about it is the more I learn that there is obviously some sort of trauma in my life. As always, you guys, if you get value from this, tag us, share it in your stories on Instagram, text a friend, share it, leave a review, and let us know what kind of value you got out of it. Let us know your number one takeaway, and we just want to make sure that we're continuing to bring you value and that you're getting something out of it. So, love you guys. Hope you enjoyed this episode. As a matter of fact, I don't hope. I know you will. (laughs) Sit back, relax. Rihanna Milne coming right up. Rihanna, welcome to the show. Happy New Year. Here we are. Thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. So good. good. Thanks for having me on, Lance. Uh, thanks for being here. It's uh, it's exciting time of year. We've all had our relaxed time. You know, I um, it's funny you you crave that that disconnect for a while, and the, the the and then you get into the craziness and the eating and the drinking, and it's oh like, my right, gosh. I want I want structure back. Yeah, it's like, can the holidays be over already? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got to say, though, I, I celebrated New Year's Eve on a cruise ship. So oh, that was okay. a fun party. Yeah, awesome. two-night little cruise. I mean, it was really just for a perfect you know, New Year's Eve celebration. Yeah, awesome. Really good. Good stuff. Well, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you and talking about this because this is this topic about people, trauma, people going through things when they grow up and not understanding the effects of it later on in all aspects, habits, uh, relationships and all that. And the more I kind of, you know, go down that, this rabbit hole and have these conversations, the more I learn that it's, it's, it's more of a problem than most understand. 
Really, it is. I, and uh, when I uncovered it, I was so amazed by the research that I was finding. <laughs> and, you know, my own story led me to that research. And then it was helping my clients that came to my therapy center outside of Atlantic City. And there it's like, I got to take this topic to the world because this is so important and all the research is pointing that 90% of all adults still have unhealed childhood or some love trauma wounds. And when you see those numbers, it's like, we got to know about this. You know, in the US, yeah. our divorce figures are very high, yeah. right? And it's like, this is a big cause of that. Right. You know, people's uh, buttons are being pushed. They don't know how to communicate their way out of it. The emotional triggers get too intense and then the fights are occurring over and over and over again and they can't seem to get to the bottom of what's going on. Yeah, it's fascinating. How did you, first of all, how did you get into all this? Maybe let's, <laughs> let's tell a little bit of backstory about, about you and kind of, okay. you know, what was it like growing up for you and how did you, how did you get into all this stuff? Okay, well, I'll, I'll tell a little bit about me first and then how it was for me to growing up. Mm. So, I mean, to get into the childhood trauma, at first, I got a triple master's in applied clinical and counseling psychology. Okay. Later in life, I went to Penn State for broadcast communications and then in the earlier years. And it's like, I want to go back for psychology. I want to be a counselor. So I went back and graduated year 2000 and did the traditional route of opening up my own practice. And then I, I had a sob jobs. In, and when I look back at it, it's like, wow, everything I did was trauma related. So I was a specialty counselor in the schools, working with kids with ADHD, oppositional defiant, the bullies and the bullied, you know, the acting out kids. They were my students all the way from kindergarten through college. I had even teenagers that were having troubles at home. So there was all this trauma interrelated work. And then I worked at um, a drug and alcohol rehab center for adolescents. I worked in a hospital uh, unit, a whole wing for children and adolescents that had psychiatric concerns, you know, and they all came tr from traumatic homes. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really put all that together to me. It's just counseling and doing what I needed to do. And then I went through my own traumatic situation and I'm pretty laid back, calm human being, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I married a man later in life that I really loved and adored. And Everyone loved our relationship. We traveled the world together. We actually had three wedding ceremonies, one in Paris, one in Cancun on the beach, one in Atlantic City in front of our family and friends. So, I mean, that's how much into romance we were and dancing and, you know, he's quite handsome. And we had this idyllic relationship. And within five months of our marriage, my world exploded. Um, we were actually introduced by his school superintendent as a principal at a school, and uh, he got suddenly fired. So uh, with that came community scandal, and it's in the newspapers, and here I'm a psychotherapist, a marriage and family wow. therapist, thinking my marriage is ideal, and he had this whole secret life. And this is what I define as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. If you ever saw the show, you know, Jekyll and Hyde, it's about uh, Dr. Jekyll had this wonderful personality to the community. You know, handsome, charming man. He was a doctor, wealthy, nice home. Everyone loved him. And then Mr. Hyde was his secret personality that came out at night and raped and ravished and killed women. So it's kind of that split personality. The one you know you adore and the one you don't know, you're appalled when the secret is uncovered. And that's what happened to me. 
So um, I just knew I couldn't trust someone that had this entire secret life. And, you know, he ruined everything. Um, he lost everything. He lost his position, his reputation, his salary, you know, him and I, our relationship and never apologized, which means that's sociopathic as well. Wow. And there's no remorse. He just ran out of town and led me to handle it all. So <clears throat> I decided to stand up for myself as my own attorney because I said, no one's going to be able to tell my story better than I. And I did all the research about what he was into. And um, I did. I stood up for myself. And the family court judge says, Miss Nillen, in 32 years of being a family court judge, I've only granted one annulment. And he slams his gavel and he goes, and yours is a second. Wow. So, you know, that was pretty surprising. Now, here's a cute little side story to that, Lance. I go down to file the paperwork, and I'm also an interfaith minister. So I'm known in that courthouse as Reverend Rihanna. So I show up, hi, Reverend Rihanna, did you do another marriage today? I'm like, no, not quite. You know, I am here to file my marriage annulment. And the girls in the office look at each other. They're like, okay, well, I've been here 18 years. I never filed an annulment. They, nobody gives these out. Like these are so rare. And the other girl was there. I don't know what to do either with wow. it. So I didn't really realize how rare that was until I heard the clerks at the court say they weren't really sure how to handle the annulment. So um, that marriage was annulled. And then it was up to me to get the answers that I needed. Now, me being a psychotherapist, I had seven really good friends who were psychotherapists. We're all shocked. Nobody knew what he had. Nobody knew why he would do this, jeopardize everything um, with this high-risk behavior, but he did. And uh, I said, well, I got to figure out why. And his last words to me is like, I don't know why I ruin everything I love. So it wasn't like he didn't love me, but he had this horrible, impulsive side that was secretive. And I said, well, I'm going to figure out why. Mm -hmm. And this is how I uncovered the impact of childhood trauma on adult lives. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Quite a story, right? <laughs> <laughs> I got to sit back and just like, wow. Can we have a drink now? Yeah. <laughs> I need a glass of wine. Yeah. No. That, that, um, <laughs> so you had to unpack obviously that he, did you know that there was trauma in his life beforehand? I knew some things. I knew about ACOA, adult child of an alcoholic. That was done in my addiction studies. I'm an LCADC right. as well. Right. Um, and I knew about that. I knew his father was an alcoholic and was verbally abusive and physically abusive. But then I started looking at things deeper. And then I looked at all the traumatic kids that I worked with. And again, ages five, all the way up to, well, I had seniors in my therapy office, but in the schools, that was all the way through college. So here's all these children going through all this stuff. And I'm like, they all came from different types of trauma at their home. Mm. So I created the childhood trauma checklist, which has 10 items on it. There was more, but the top 10 that a lot of my people were falling into and then how that impacted them later in life. And um, I was really started looking at heavily with my therapy clients as well. And then I started making all these correlations. Well, if you're jealous and controlling, it was because this trauma was high for you as a child. You know, if you had abandonment issues and you tend to be love addicted, you know, so I started putting all these different pieces together for my research. Wow. So I researched the topic about two years and then I decided to go as a specialist, I got my CCTP as well, certified clinical trauma professional, mindset coach, I'm a mindfulness coach, 
um, and with the interfaith world, you know, it's just a, a high regard for a higher power. Um, it's not religion. It's a spiritual way of being 24-7. So I combined all my 20 years of experience in all these different areas and created my specialty niche of, you know, being a childhood and love trauma coach. Because definitely what I went through was love trauma. I had PTSD. Right. There was no doubt about it. I was so shocked. Because uh, we just came off a great vacation in Key West, Florida. Yeah, so I'm like, crazy. what happened? <laughs> why so aren't you in your school? I'm in my school. Where, why aren't you in your school? Um, and it was just this su suddenly our world just exploded. And he couldn't handle the pressure. So, you know, it was left on my lap to handle what I was going through, plus my clients, plus the scandal and everything else. It was really kind of sucked. <laughs> so it just caught you completely off guard. There was no, yeah. well, there was no signs. There was, n there was any. No, you know, I mean, wow. people with addictions can hide things pretty well. You know, I'm a busy lady. I know I'm acting in high integrity and, you know, I didn't see signs. Yeah. So you figure, you know, we're happy. We're having a great time. We're traveling the world, but I, I'm certainly not sitting around and babysitting or following the person that I'm with, I'm not going to do that. You know, I know as I'm you acting. shouldn't need to, and you didn't exactly. think you need to do that. Exactly. So you would figure a principal at a school as someone with high integrity, usually, you, would, you, you know, would, you would think, yeah, <laughs> you would think. Okay. So. so this is what fascinates me is that here you are so educated in this topic mm -hmm. and you, so before this happened, did you have to go through any of this, any, any like real trauma and that kind of thing before? Or well, is this kind um, of stuff you studied and then you were like, wow, I'm actually. Yeah. Well, when I, I knew he definitely had problems and I said, yeah. I want to find out, you know, how many traumas that he had. He had nine out of the 10 traumas. Mm -hmm. And then I, I assigned a severity level of one to 10, 10 being the most. And his were like nine and 10 of the nine okay. traumas out of 10. Okay. When you're reaching those kind of numbers, we're talking sociopathy, psychopathy, you know, sociopaths use people for pleasure or profit. And psychopaths are sociopaths who kill. Okay, so we're talking on the high end of traumatic childhoods at that point. Wow. Um, and then I said, well, he has it. What do I have? And then I really had to dig deep and say, yes, this did happen to me. Like one was very clear for me. I was definitely bullied as a kid from sixth grade till about 10th grade until I got into the modeling industry. Then I could be tall, skinny, and gawky and get it. And that was good, you know, before I was teased for that. And then, you know, I, I did okay. Um, but that was one that is called personal trauma. And that was one. And then I had a couple I could identify around my father as well. So it's like people of trauma attract people of trauma. I just didn't know I had it. And that's where most adults are. It's like, no, no, I didn't have trauma. Then they hear the 10 traumas, Lance, and it's like, whoa, yeah, okay, I do have a few of those. Yeah. And then, you know, if they've struggled in love in any way or attracted the wrong person, this is the answers to why they've done that. And then my coaching program is the solutions to make the unconscious conscious and any unconscious behavioral patterns stop, change, and then knowing exactly what emotionally healthy evolved and conscious love is mm -hmm. and what to look for when you're dating that's good and what's bad. Both. Okay. You need to be empowered in both. Because if you're seeing some of these negative red flags, you don't want to move too fast or, or get involved. Mm. You know, and then there's certain things you do want to look for for someone who is emotionally healthy.
Would you say it's fair to say that, excuse me, that somebody, most people will have at least some form of trauma? Yeah, they say 90% have at least one to three it's of hard the list. For me, it's hard for describing. me to, to like wrap my head around anybody not having at least one of the 10, yeah. right? Like how, yeah. because everybody has gone through something, whether, you know, when you're born, when you're young, some sort of emotional thing that may be in the back that they don't know about. Exactly. It's, so when they hear the list, I'd say it real simple. So yeah. then they can, they can easily relate to that. So if you'd like, I'll go into that. I will. I would love that. I'll give you my next question because <laughs> sure. uh, it's fascinating because, and if you could maybe pinpoint what that one usually brings up. Like as far as the, the, the addiction or whatever. that I'll is. go into some of the aftermath and then yeah. the two or three that are combined once I uh, name the 10. Fascinating stuff. That sound good? Yes. Okay. So for the listeners, I usually advise, get a piece of paper and a yeah. pen. If you're able, make three columns. Okay. The first column you put me. The second column you put partner. So if you want to analyze, is my partner going through something? Why do we keep fighting? And then the third one you put parents. Because the studies show that childhood trauma goes through at least three generations, at least three. So if you had trauma, so did your parents and so did their parents. And um, this study was really, um, there's a study that came out later in later years after I was doing all this work and after this occurred to me, uh, which is done by the Kaiser Permanente Group in the U.S. out of San Diego and the CDC, Center for Disease Control where they took over 17,000 uh, volunteers and made the correlation of unhealed childhood trauma and how it brings on early illness in life. And they call that the ACE study, adverse childhood events. Huh. That's what they called it. And it was interesting because when their list came out, I'm like, huh, they didn't name abandonment. They didn't name foster care. They didn't name bullying. So my list was very different and very much based on the experience of all these kids in trauma and they're working with adults in later life, right? right. So what came up from their memory? So since then, uh, since there's more information coming out on childhood trauma, they have adjusted their list and added some of the things that I have. Wow. So I thought that was fascinating. That is. Yeah. So, okay. So I'll go through it. So um, first of all, when I go through the list, I want your listeners to know this is not about blame or shame. We don't want to blame your parents at this stage of your life. We're just seeking to understand. And we don't want to feel ashamed if we're like, oh yes, I had this. Or wow, I had sex. Now what? You know, because we're just trying to look at it as facts. Um, Dr. Phil, one of our TV doctors says, you can't change, change what you don't acknowledge. But I say, you can't change what you don't understand. Mm -hmm. And I was clearly at that point as I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what the matter was with mm -hmm. my husband. I didn't know why he was doing these things. So it's a very frustrating place to be. And I totally get it. So the knowledge is empowering. And as you learn this information, I, I describe it like a rainbow because that's how I felt. I was going up this huge learning curve. But as I was getting knowledgeable, I felt better and less stress. And then I'd slip and then I'd get better, then I'd slip because you're fighting unconscious patterns that might've been around for many, many years, depending yeah. how old you are. 
Okay, so, and then when you've got it, you're totally living in conscious awareness, then you're at the other side of the rainbow where indeed there is that pot of gold. You feel very empowered, very confident with your relationships. You know what to look for, as I said, mm. what's good, what's bad. Um, so it makes a huge difference. Mm. Okay, so here we go. When you're a little person, <laughs> young and innocent, did any of these things happen to you or around you? First, your parents had any addiction. Now, Kaiser's study only said drugs and alcohol. And I'm there, what? <laughs> There's a lot more addiction. So I name 11. Drugs, alcohol, sex, meaning you knew your parent was a chronic cheater. Porn, gambling, hoarding, spending, eating, gaming, TV watching, workaholism. So any of those can really jeopardize a family structure when it becomes the point of addiction. Mm -hmm. Okay, second, verbal abuse. Now, they mentioned if they witnessed domestic verbal fighting. There's a lot more in my children that I saw, my students. So verbal abuse I identify as, yes, witnessing yelling and screaming in your household or being yelled at, but also not hearing I love you, not saying hearing I'm proud of you or good job. Instead, verbal put downs, a young girl being called fat, you're fat, lose weight. You know, um, anything that makes you feel not good enough, or if they're mad at you, they give you the silent treatment and just shut you out for hours or days at a time. Those are all forms of verbal abuse. Hmm. Third is emotional abuse or neglect. The fourth one is sexual abuse, rape, molestation, or physical abuse, like beatings. And the sexual abuses could have happened inside or outside of the home. So um, those are things, you know, again, you think they're all rated a high 10 trauma, but some of the other ones are as well, you know? Okay. The next one is abandonment. And this is why, you know, I was very surprised abandonment on the Kaiser study at all, because I named two types of abandonment. There's fault and no fault. So no fault abandonment is the trauma of a parent dying early. If a parent goes off to war, the child's always wondering, is my mom or dad coming home safe? Um, or um, like my example, a no-fault abandonment, I remember asking when, when I was a little kid, when's daddy coming home? Now, our family did not know he was FBI and CIA. So my mom didn't even know where he was. So it's like, well, he's been gone a long time. Is he okay? Was he in a car crash? Like, we didn't know where he was. Wow. My dad had a secret life, similar to the man I loved. How crazy is this? Oh, I just got goosebumps when you told me that. That's right. Because your unconscious chemistry will pull you towards the past of what you know and what's comfortable for you. Oh. Yeah. So that was really fascinating. But it was no fault because that's how he supported the family. And he really couldn't tell the family what it, where he was. Would divorce be the same thing as that? The no fault? Um. Well, divorce is under fault because they chose okay, okay. to divorce, right? Okay, so gotcha. let's go to the fault abandonment. Okay. So yeah, you know, you might have had the emotional abuse, the verbal abuse, and the divorce happened. Any of those could have all occurred. Um, but let's say once the divorce happened, let's say the father left the family home and he doesn't show up to see you, or he says he'll come and he doesn't, or he's chronically late, or if he does, you're sitting in the, your room on your computer and he's just watching football and checking out or with his new girlfriend, whatever. Yeah. Um, so those are all forms of fault abandonment. He could change those situations very easily. 
to have more of a bonding experience with mm. his child. Okay. okay. So that's that example. The next one is if you were adopted part of the foster care system, or you needed to go live in other people's homes because there, there wasn't enough money or the kids all had to be spread out and sent away, you know, to other people's homes because their parents couldn't support you, something like that. Mm. Okay. Trauma number seven is the most common. Common. That is the one we call child. Um, I'm sorry, personal trauma. So that's if you were bullied, if you didn't feel like you fit in, you didn't feel good enough, you might have been the skinny, awkward child, you might have been the heavyweight, you know, a little bit heavier child, uh, you might have had a medical condition, like the, the little child in school that has asthma and is always made to feel a little bit different or diagnosed ADHD and have to go to special classes. There's so much around in the schools around this no, trauma number seven and not feeling right or good enough. That's a big one. Oh yeah. It's huge. Yeah. So the next one is sibling trauma, trauma number eight. And this is if um, you remember uh, your sibling bullying you, mm -hmm. uh, most common, you would perceive them to be the golden child. So the golden child might've gotten more of mom's and dad's attention because they were more handsome or beautiful more athletic, more talented, smarter in school. Um, or the child might've been born with issues and then mom and dad had to give them more time and attention. Mm, okay. Okay. So that's sibling trauma. Number nine has two parts. It was originally 10 traumas, but I had to bring one from the other list because it's just happening too much today. The one I brought down was community trauma. So this is our mass shootings, our school shootings, um, a loss of huge communities by floods, fires, volcanoes, mm. you know, all the natural disasters wiping out huge communities. So this is, they're all scary events for adults. Can you imagine little children going through these oh. events? Okay, so it's yeah. very, very scary and it's a very huge impact on a community. And the other one of nine is family trauma. So that could be you're moving a lot. In the U.S., our military families move every two to four years. So the kids are always in new schools. Um, it could be, remember, growing up in poverty or in a dangerous neighborhood. You might have lost your home in the mortgage crises um, or you know, a parent was incarcerated. Mm -hmm. Those are some of the family traumas you could have gone through. And there's mm -hmm. more. And then the last one, trauma 10, is mental health illness in mom or dad. Now, for baby boomers in my generation, our parents didn't go to counseling, so we yeah. kind of have to guess. And the two most difficult to live with is bipolar polar, and borderline. So borderline I describe as fast trigger anger, definite moods all over this place, a lot of mood swings, like you're walking on eggshells. You never know what kind of mood they're going to be in. Yeah. But when they're good, they're great. But when yeah. they're bad, they're horrid. So that's borderline. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then bipolar. <laughs> Yeah, is manic depressive. So manic people think, oh, that's a high and happy one. That's a good one, right? Well, that could also be a gambling spree, you know, a sex spree, uh, eating binge, spending spree. So not necessarily, you know. Mm -hmm. And then depression can come out as extreme fatigue, checking out emotionally or anger. So those are the two most difficult for kids to navigate. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. And how many did you have, Lance? I'm just, I'm just looking through. There's, <laughs> there's a few, you know. Yeah. It, it all depends. And my next question was, 
what is the age? Because I've heard zero to zero to eight. I've heard zero to 11. I've heard zero to 10. Like what yeah. is that age that's the most common for this stuff to really stick? And can some of this stuff happen later and you actually yeah. develop it? Like say you have a really, a really rough teen years or, or, you know, you're past that, you know, development zero to 11 stage. Can you still, I mean, I'm 36. Could something that's happened in my teens really yes, affect sure. me now? Yes. Um, zero to 11 is the personality forming okay. in a child. And um, yes, these, any of these traumas happening in that age time. And I say zero because in utero, yeah. If you have a very distressed, anxious mom or mom being abused in any way, the baby feels it. So it can be born okay. super anxious. Okay. So from zero to 11, but then let's talk about love trauma. Like a, a young girl may be attracted to a 16 year old. She's like, has a crush on him and she has this innocent love for him. They have this date behind their parents back and now she's raped. Okay. There's a date rape. So now that's love trauma. So that often happens in those teen years, you know, um, mm. or you're, you know, cheated on by someone you loved and you thought you had this great relationship and then you find out he's with your best friend. I mean, all this, they just called it puppy love when we were growing up. It's like, oh no, this, this is very serious stuff because this is your first love relationship experiences yeah. from 12 through 20 or 21. Right. So what happens in that can really form your ability to love, to trust, um, to be vulnerable with a partner, you know, so that's an equally important stage as well. What would you say is the most common form of trauma? And what would you say is the most common addiction linked to that trauma or different? But what do you see as like nowadays, what, it, what are most people coming to you with? Is it alcohol? Is it sex? Is it like what? what? Yeah, um, it's, it's normally what I call same person, different face. Yeah. So they're falling for the same personality type over and over again, who become like in the beginning, they're really charming. They are amazing partners. They will do everything right. Um, the sociopath, let's say, you know, they know exactly how to love you. They'll buy you gifts. So they'll, they'll text you, you know, women love that attention, especially if you were lacking attention as a child right. from the opposite sex, you love that attention. And this is like, seems like the ideal relationships, but the studies show from four months to nine months is that sweet spot. When this, the relationship, if it starts getting serious, so that could be exclusivity, engagement, moving in together, marriage or a child, those transitional periods is what really can shake that normally that seem like that great partner up and you'll start seeing things come out that are, may not be ideal. Um, so usually I'm seeing um, a successful woman uh, succeeds in business, struggles in love. She might have had three relationships, a long marriage, two boyfriends, all toxic. Can't figure out why am I always getting toxic men? Yeah. What is she missing? Her unconscious is usually, um, this is very interesting. So let's say, let's start putting the patterns together. So let's say this little girl had a very demanding, strict father and an alcoholic mother. So she found peace and joy at school. 
And she might not have been told she was loved or good job unless she got A's in a report card. So she learned to work very hard. And later in life, she knew how to be successful. So it solved that ego issue around not feeling good enough because her parents didn't make her feel good enough, but school did mm. and her grades and her work. But the underlying emotional stuff is not healed. You yeah. see, so that's my ideal client. That's most of the women I get. But I also have fantastic men, kind, loving men who fall for the sociopathic woman. You know, um, down in Florida, I've had more, several men in here with, you know, foreign women coming over, acting like the perfect girlfriend, you know, from Russia or Poland. They get married and then the girl takes off. You know, they want citizenship. So, I mean, there's just all these different ways that people have to be careful today, um, you know, and, and be smart and be educated. So let's talk about some of the dynamics. So this young girl, um, she may also be quite a people pleaser to her man because she found if she was really super nice to her dad, she might not get yelled at. And with mom, if she's hungover, what did she do? She got the kids up her siblings, got them dressed, packed the lunches, got them breakfast, got to them school bus, and she'd hear a thanks, hon, without yelling and screaming at them either in the morning, mm. right? So she did it to keep the peace. So these are coping strategies that kids learn, and then they just become normalized. Yeah. So very often, this woman would come to me in later years in a marriage and say, Brianna, I'm fed up. Nobody does anything for me. I do everything for my husband, my kids. They don't do anything. They don't love me like I love them. Mm -hmm. So she learned to be and get love was to do and overdo and people please. And then people weren't giving it back to her. Mm -hmm. So that leads to resentment and burnout. So let's say you're dating someone who lies all the time. If you ever know that personality type, like why do they lie all the time? Very often that might've been, let's say it's a little boy. Um, he had a 50, 50 shot of getting out of a beating from a strict father if he knew he was in trouble. So he learned to be a great liar and manipulator. Mm -hmm. And again, this is very often the sociopath that would learn to charm his way out of things. And if he got a bad mark in school, he knew he was gonna get beat. So this is the little boy that might become the teacher's pet, the female teacher to give him the better grade and say, can I clap the erasers for you? Can I <sighs> you know, run errands for you? Because at least he's feeling a little love you yeah. know, and attention. This is also the little boy that might be the class clown. So it's funny, I did a huge study on comedians. Comedians usually come from a lot of childhood trauma and they used humor to get friendships and to feel loved at school. Yeah, I've, I've heard that a lot too, people in yeah. comedy. Yes, um, the, when people have abandonment issues, this is what leads to um, love addiction. Like if you've ever heard these relationships, they break up, they're very volatile, but then they go back then they break up again. And if you're in this cycle of love addiction, it's usually seven breakups before that one person is healthy enough to say, I've had it. This is done. It's insane. You know, it's insane. Yeah. It's usually seven times. Um, so impulsivity that might come from someone growing up very poor, um, spending all their money on things 
right? It's like, I want this thing. And they start equating things with love and feeling good enough or feeling worthy, you know, like the designer names of, of purses or belts, or I need to have this, you know, I need to have this to feel good. Um, that's where a lot of that, you know, spending addiction can come in. Hmm. Alcoholism or drug addiction usually comes from people self-medicating early on to try to cope with what they're living with, Mm. um, what they're hearing, to tune out the fighting, um, and then they just overuse it and they get addicted. They're checking out emotionally from the reality, you know, or self-medicating. That's normally what's going on there. That's what happened with me. Yeah. Yeah. Aw. (laughs) For many years. Tell me your story, Lance. (laughs) I, um... I can really relate to the the drinking part, right? So I yeah. I had a very loving childhood. My parents, you know, I had a great family, but my my mom and dad fought a lot. Okay. It was it was it's like yelling. Yeah, and and it was just emotionally as a kid just my mom, my dad could be very uh verbally abusive. He was a loving guy, but he's just he was treated like that growing up and he mm-hmm. would just be nice and then he would just snap and he would and it was really hard on my mom and I know she gave me anxiety because she had it yeah just growing up that was tough she left we I moved across the country when I was 11 which was really hard Mm. my dad married a crazy woman with four kids which made my teen years quite difficult yeah no quite difficult um and they ended up splitting up but she made my dad's life a living hell basically until he died. So um, I basically got as a teen, you know, I was a, I was a hockey player and all this stuff, but when I found alcohol, it allowed me to kind of check out yeah. of the stress growing up in, in fighting all the time and, 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 and being away from my mom and hardly seeing my, my, some my close family was across the country. It was really challenging. Yeah. That and, was. And I got in, so I gravitated towards working in the bars and the nightclubs because I could, I could immerse myself in a toxic environment and connect with women and make money and have my habit. Yeah. It was acceptable to be a drunk all the time. Oh. Yeah. And so that allowed me a lot of fun times, a lot of great times. I traveled around the world. I lived in Australia, all that. But eventually that took its toll. Um, we lost my younger brother and my dad within 18 months, which is a good That's so, huge. So I, I've had the sibling trauma as well. Yeah. Lance. yeah it was, yeah. I, it's crazy. It's, I, you know, and you know, I, I battled with, I quit drinking for a year, then started drinking again in 2018, quit for nine months in 2019. And then now I'm, I, I drank a little bit in the holidays and now I'm kind of off it again, but this is the pattern, the loop. This is why it's so interesting for me because You'd be a, a very good client for me. <laughs> I've done so much inner work. Yes. I've done so much inner work that I'm aware of it now. And I am able, but I, I'm able to recognize why they're, they're like these events I, I witnessed when I was young, like you're talking about mm-hmm. envir- environment trauma or, or community where we went through a bad tornado and half oh. the neighborhood got torn apart. And I remember the wind and trees bending down to the ground. And, and that, that is why I, I feel like I, I, I also almost drowned as a kid. So like mm-hmm. I had a fear of water for the longest time. So with all these things that I didn't realize during my life, I've, I've come to the surface and I'm like, huh, I remember that now. And that's why I was scared to swim in the ocean. That's why yeah. when there's a big storm, I'm like, oh, this is a bit, there's all this stuff surfacing. And 
I feel like for so many years and so many people out there, alcohol is just one of those things that allows you to just check out. It allows you to just, I, uh, you don't even really know you're you definitely doing have it. to find other ways you yeah. know, to heal. And that's what I teach, you know, yeah. as a trauma professional, but in all the work that you've come across, have you heard of these 10 traumas before? Has it made <sighs> you know sense? What? Yeah, it, it makes total sense. And I, you know, I've heard of them, but I like them as they're laid out because I feel that out of all of those 10 things, somebody has gone through one of those. Oh, I find yeah. it very hard to believe there's not one human on planet earth that hasn't at least gone through one of those. And what I'm curious about is how is, is see for me, what about uncovering trauma that you don't even know existed. That's what we do. And in my module one, it's a notebook. It's a 150 page workbook. My yeah. clients go through with me. It's a six month process. It's very yeah. intensive. Yeah. So the first module is called awake to awareness. We have mm. to make you aware of all these correlations of what came up. And it's kind of like you have to purge and then you heal. Yeah. And then if you're triggered again, now you know, oh, this is happening because of this. And then you know the mindset work to solve this. Yeah. Like you had said about 10 minutes ago, I had high anxiety just like my mom. Yeah. Every client that comes to me, their common element is anxiety. Yeah. And then bouts of depression. Not yeah. usually ongoing depression, but there's bouts of them. And, and it can feel scary at times, right? Yeah. Um, but that's the most common element, this ongoing anxiety you don't seem to be able to get rid of. Yeah. That's my job. Yeah. Okay. So we are making all this unconscious mess <laughs> conscious, mm -hmm. forgiving it, rewriting the stories, doing the spiritual work around it, which is super important. And mm -hmm. then learning the skills. To, so when it comes up, which we call an emotional trigger, when a trigger would come up, you totally do the mindset work to heal it for yourself. Yeah. And with practice and time, it gets down to like zero. There's not what we call, there's no energy around it. Or you're able, like my story, I'm able to laugh when I tell the story because it's like, wow, you know, just recalling it was traumatic. Now I don't yeah. have any feeling around it. Actually, you know, I ran into him a while ago and he had totally changed like about 90 pounds heavier. And I barely recognized him. And I just said, hey, are you okay? You know, that's all I could say. And, and I left and I said, you know, I have no charge. So a charge is either in your head, like a headache, heart pains, stomach ache. And it's like, I had nothing. It yeah. was so forgiven because this work made was what was able for me to forgive him. And when I sent him my collection of work, he goes, thank you. Put my picture on this. I am the poster child of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I finally have an answer. And that's because he had such a reckless life. He couldn't figure it out. None, this wasn't out there. None of us knew what this was. And that's like, I couldn't figure it out Isn't it, until I got the research and just kept digging and digging and putting the pieces together. Isn't it crazy when you go through a really challenging situation and you get past and in hindsight, you just, it just seems like you cannot believe that that when that happened. Yeah. Like I sometimes I think about you know, losing a brother to suicide and a dad to cancer. Wow. It was just like, but I've dealt with it now. Like I've, I've dealt with it. And it, but it's like, it's such a crazy thing to think about because 
hearing that about somebody else going through that, I'd always go, Oh wow, that's, that's crazy. I, I couldn't mm. imagine going through that. And when you, when you're forced to go through it, things change, you get through it, you're, you're, yeah. you deal with it. And then when you look back, it's like, wow, that was crazy. Like, yeah. I can't believe that that happened, you know? And you know, you, and then you, you learn from it. And it's actually, for me, it's a gift. I've, I've become so strong and resilient from the things that I had to do to get through that. Stuff. To heal from that. Right. You know, what are some of the things when you are on your, 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 the kind of like the rock bottom moment, you know, mm -hmm. like you were, you were faced with that situation. Right. What were some of the fundamentals that you took in your own hands and decided to work on that maybe well, I was seeking answers because yeah. for me, knowledge is power and okay. I needed to take some power back, <laughs> yeah, you know, and this for was sure. forced upon me. Um, but the thing was, I couldn't just open a book and get the answers. Mm. But um, all the research was so magnificent, which led me to writing my, I said, I have to write a book yeah. and my book, Love Beyond Your Dreams break free of toxic relationships to have the love you deserve was written while I was doing this research. So I did research over 350 books and wow. the book ended up over 400 pages, number one bestseller on Amazon and couples therapy, women in spirituality and number two in psychology. Nice. So it, um, it really does dive deep and, and gives answers. Cause it's like, what am I going to do with this research? And then I made the notebooks, you know, for my private coaching clients, um, that has been through something like this and wants to heal. So, you know, when it happens, it's just this shock, you know, and yeah. it's kind of similar, you know, I was called on to NBC news to talk about trauma right after nine 11. Wow. And I was traumatized. I'm a mother with young girls and I was single and I'm like, Oh my God, I gotta go to the bank and get money out. I gotta get food. I gotta get water. Who knows what's happening? We could be in a huge war, right? Yeah. We didn't know yeah. as that was coming down. I was supposed to give a speech that day and I called at the casino. I said, I'm not coming and give a speech. I'm sorry. Our country's in crisis. I got to take care of my children. Yeah. Um, and that's what I did. But you know, that later that afternoon, they're like, can you come and sit on the, the, the five o'clock news? And I said, yes, I have a royal blue suit on. I'll be right in, which is perfect TV colors. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what am I going to say that's going to be calming for anyone with this kind of trauma? The whole country's in crisis. Um, and seeing the images over and over again, and what do you say to your children? So I just went through the stages of trauma on that news report. And I just felt the same way personally. I was going through PTSD, no doubt about it. Um, you know, the crying jags out of the blue, extreme fatigue. I could fall asleep by laying down in a second, be asleep. And meanwhile, I'm pushing through and still seeing therapy clients, you know, while I'm trying to deal with my emotional stuff. And then what am I going to say to my clients? And, you know, and, and I'm spiritual, so I'm not revengeful. It's not, that's not who I am. So I'm trying to find all this spiritual forgiveness and having my faith help me heal, which was a huge part of it. Mm. So it was just one thing after another. <laughs> you know, it was, um, and just the more answers I got, though, the more it all was starting to make sense. And then I could, um, you know, really help heal myself better at that point in that this stage of all this. Um, and then I just felt this was so important for the world to know, you know, and my clients, you know, like they were saying, uh, similar to your story, well, this happened and that happened. And then this, I got involved with that. And, 
it's like, okay, well, you don't need that now. And now you need a stronger, more mature mm -hmm. coping mechanism versus the alcohol. We found out alcohol is not your friend, yeah. you know? So what is it we have to do, you know? And there, there is a big spiritual component, like I said, to the healing portion of it and rewriting the story and finding forgiveness for your father, you know, who, you know, was difficult to deal with and caused all this anguish to your mom, you know? Yeah, so. it's, it's tough because, you know, I loved him so much, but, you know, and he, he just only, he only had the tools that he was taught, right? That's right. So I, I, I don't, I can't, I look back now and even with my mom, you know, she only, she's doing her best. Now I look back, I'm 36 and when I was a teenager, I was pissed off at her for leaving, but now I go, wow, I would have left too. Yeah, of course. You know, you can only take- Believe me, you know, women don't want to leave and break no. up the family. It's no. the last ditch effort. You know, they try everything. Yeah. But there's a certain point where the emotional or physical abuse is just too grave that you have to be a strong, you have to have one strong parent to raise the kids. Yeah. And that's why your mom decided to go. Because really, people in these toxic relationships and all the studies show it, best to leave one person strong enough to leave and raise the ch children properly yeah. and with love. Yeah. What, do you see a lot of people, the, this is what I find a lot as I hear is that they get stuck in that story, that narrative, like they, they become that victim to that thing for so long that it's, they don't allow themselves to, to start a new narrative. Right. It's and true. For me, I know that, I'm okay to talk about it, but I'm not that person anymore. Yeah. And, and now I'm this person, but I can reflect on that and learn, but I'm not going to be a victim for that. Right. You find that people get stuck in that victim. They almost get addicted to that victim feeling. Well, what it is, they're getting a sense of love yeah. through having pity by people. Oh, right. I feel sorry for you, but at least that's compassion, you know? Yeah. Um, or they want to hold stuck to the story of, well, he hurt me, so every other guy is going to hurt me too. Right. Versus I say you have to date open heart, open mind. That man is not any of the other men that you might be meeting. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't want them to judge you against their ex-girlfriend. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to come to that new person whole and healed. And that's why I say you have to love yourself first. You have to heal from this before you attempt to go back out there and date right? Uh, Being yeah. a successful single in all life areas, especially emotionally. Because yeah. if you're still emotionally wounded, you're going to attract emotionally wounded. When you're confident and feeling wonderful about yourself and your life, you will not settle for less. Yeah. And you're going to clearly date consciously yeah. and ask the questions that have to be asked. There's about 24 of them my clients learn. And, and judge for yourself. Now, we know the numbers are high. People have childhood trauma. But people have you know, found different ways to heal. Mm -hmm. You know, or they might go through a program like mine to do the healing. And then they're not carrying that charged up energy or anger anymore mm -hmm. or the pity me victimization. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Love this. This was, this <laughs> is intense, awesome. I, I, I love this. It's like I said, I, this always happens. The time flies and, you know, and there's just so much, there's so much useful stuff that you were talking about there. And a lot of people just aren't even aware. Of, of no, and that's why and I appreciate you helping me, Lance, and yeah. changing the way the world loves by getting this message out there to the world. Because once you understand, okay, there are you know, wounds that people have to work with. And when I work with couples, 
I, I individually do each of their childhood wounds. And then how is it um, showing up? And then they learn new and different communication around their wounds. Instead of people taking it, taking it personally, it's like, you know, you're feeling angry right now. Is there something that's triggering you? And they know it's not them. Mm. It's something else. Like the boss said something mean to him. He felt unworthy. He comes home in a pissed off mood. Right. And the wife's there. Okay, so you're feeling angry. And I know it's not about me or us. So can you identify what it is? And then they might have a conversation. Right. Oh, well, that your boss probably said that that made you think, you know, totally of your dad. Well, your dad didn't think you'd amount to anything, you know? So yeah. they bury deep and they understand the message. So they correct. And, it's, and then she can help him with the affirmation of, you know, you're great at what you do. Don't yeah. let him bring you down. You know, it's, it, then they work as a partnership. Right. And it's a, it's a deeper uh, relationship built in safety and friendship, love, compassion, empathy, and understanding. And when both people understand their past messages and how to do the healing conversation around it, it's a brand new relationship, mm. better than it ever was. Amazing. Where yeah, can, where can we find, <laughs> where can we find out about you? Where can everybody check you out and, and, and work with you and all that good stuff? Okay. No notes for you. Yeah. All right. Well, I do work with singles and couples and then I work with young people, 16 to 26. We call that life transition coaching. So from mm -hmm. high school to college or coming out of college uh, to empower you to feel amazing about your new life. Um, and so my name, rihannamilne.com is my website. And on there is an offer to meet with me at a, an amazing offer. Um, and also there is free uh, love tests. So the childhood trauma checklist is there, one for singles love tests, one for couples, and also the ACOA checklist. So doing those four assessments will give you a really good idea if you're struggling from something from the past. And then there's an offer to sign up and meet with me for an hour, one-on-one, -on -one, where I totally dissect those assessments and get to the bottom of what's going on for you. And it's very empowering. And that's then from that point, they can learn what, you know, what's the next step if they want to work with me. Perfect. And we got your, you got two books, right? Live beyond your dreams and love beyond your dreams. Yes. They're sister books, meaning they're, mo they're meant to go together. So okay, live perfect. beyond your dreams is about the mindset for success, yeah. which is what I teach. And then love beyond your dreams is about the emotionally healthy, evolved and conscious relationship and how to avoid toxic ones. Awesome. Yes. Podcast. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> uh, it's called Lessons in Life and Love. Okay. And I'm up to show 70. So awesome. three seasons in and every podcast app has it or just get it from the website or you can get it from my app. I have an app called Lessons in Life and Love on the go. So awesome. that is free to download. You can get my YouTube videos on there and my podcast on there. Connect with me, do the free love tests on there as well. It's just that little mini website in your phone. So enjoy that too. Oh, amazing. We'll have all that <laughs> linked in the show notes for Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that, Lance. Oh, I, I love this. I got a lot out of this and I, I really appreciate you bringing attention to this. And like I said, the more we discuss this, the more it kind of opens up people's minds and, yeah. um, you know, just to address these things. So the important thing is don't wait. There's definitely solid answers. Yeah. And you know, that's why I love what I do when I take someone from that. I don't know what I don't know to that total stage of conscious awareness and 
conscious feeling of power, mm-hmm. you know, and not in an arrogant way, just calm and, and confident about their life and dating and their love relationships. That's a beautiful place to be. And you have these skills for the rest of your life. Absolutely. That's the amazing thing. So I just say now's the time to create that life you desire and to have the love that you deserve. Don't wait. Uh, amazing. So I always end with one staple question and it's around adversity and it's what has, what is one main lesson or the number one thing that adversity has taught you? There's many lessons, yeah. but what's coming to my mind first is just cause probably new year's Eve live large. Yeah. You now I lost my best friend to a drunk driver when he, we were 16 and my college roommate at Penn state was murdered by her boyfriend at 23. Jeez. So those were two adverse time periods for me. And that's actually when I started my path of spirituality, that was my coping mechanism then. And all I can say is we don't know how much time we have. So go for it in life, enjoy your life, get the help you need. If you're struggling with anything, there's answers out there and it's not in drugs or alcohol or psychotropic drugs. It's in your mindset, mm. your mindset for success. It, it, once you have that, you can do anything. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I really appreciate it. <laughs> you're welcome. Thanks again, Lance. Rihanna Milne, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Make sure you check out Rihanna. If you need a coach, if you need a relationship coach, she's the person for you. She's a pro at this stuff. And as she said in the episode, she's very easy to find and you can go check out her stuff. You can go um, take her free tests that she has and see if it's something for you. Great conversation. We had a little bit of a chat after the podcast ended. And yeah, she's definitely somebody that I'm happy to be connected with and I'm sure you guys will find value as well. So if you got value from the show, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Share it with a friend. All that good stuff. Have an amazing day, everybody. Love you. I appreciate you. Take care. See you next time. You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.